it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Beer as a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly, and here we try and make sense of what is happening and better understand the issues shaping the industry, and also, particularly this week, the way the industry is helping to shape the issues. This week, we have our last conversation recorded during our swing through the High Country Brewery Trail with a visit to Bright Brewery. We visited the High Country Breweries in late January, just after the fires had been through the region, figuring that by now in April, the fires would have largely been forgotten outside of the areas affected. Who could have predicted what would have happened instead? At the time, it was breweries in the many regions affected by fires that were hurting. Today, it is every small brewery. And that makes the reminder today all the more important. I checked in with Bright last week just to see how they were going, not just since the fires, but since the current crisis. And they've had to lay off all of their casual staff and all of their permanent staff except sales are on very restricted hours. They are currently serving takeaway dinner and beer from the brewery from 5 to 8 p.m. daily and offering free local delivery, free pickup and free shipping over $100 for all online orders to try and boost their revenue stream. With bottle shops still open, they're pushing off-premise packaged as much as they can and they say it's getting tough out there, but they're really grateful they're still able to operate in some capacity and they're really, really grateful for your support, as is every brewery around the country. They also have a new beer, a Kiwi Sweetheart Sour Ale, uh, and a few COVID-related sales online. So if you listen to this podcast and you're inspired, um, we've included a link in the show notes. While you wait for that arrive, you can listen to my chat with founder Scott Brandon, and you can hear him talk about the evolution of Bright Brewing as a tourism and hospitality venture, so you can start making plans to visit once this is all over. In our chat, we discuss tourism, people management and sustainability and business innovation, all of which are hot button issues for breweries when they aren't dealing with global pandemics. Enjoy this chat with a genuinely lovely bloke, Scott Brandon. Scott Brandon, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Well, we've spoken a couple of times. Uh, I've been here before and we've spoken on the podcast a couple of times, but it's a beautiful part of the world to sit and have a chat. It sure is. And, uh, you know, you've picked a perfect day for it. We, we like to say it's like this all the time in Bright. And, <laughs> but, it, you know, I think that's, um, that's true more often than not. And now uh, we, we might come to the, the, the fires, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Bright first because the, the last time we spoke to you was about 12 or 18 months ago, just as you were getting ready to open the, the production brewery, yep. um, which had been a long journey from the, the little brewery here, the cafe, expanding to production. How's it gone um, since yeah. you opened the big house? Um, look, it's, it's been great having the, all that new facility to make our beer. And, you know, the, the, the brew house is great. We've got a fantastic uh, brewer in Reed Stratton and uh, David Stokey, who's uh, helping him in there. Um, and, you know, we've developed a good little team to get the beers made and, and um, packaged. So we're really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, it's I think it's sort of showing in the... Um, 
variety and the quality of the beers that we've been able to um, push through. And, you know, so that's that's been a really positive thing for us. I, I think uh, something that we kind of expected, but, you know, until you try it, you don't really realise how hard it is, is to get your product out there and into people's hands, you know. So that's, uh, that's sort of been our key focus for the last 12 months, is really trying to push that and, uh, yeah, get, get beers on shelves and on taps. Because I, I think the first time I came through here would have been about, 10, 11, 12 years ago, mm, just when right. much smaller venue, um, the, the brewery was still there. The, the, the hospitality offering that you, you, you have now is just significantly um, increased on, on anything that you probably even anticipated back then. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, when you first came, we, we just um, we had a small tin shed and uh, with a little bar on the side of it and the brewery crammed into it. So it was pretty much an outdoor beer garden. It was very... Uh, susceptible to changes in weather you know <laughs> and made it difficult to operate so you know having a having a proper venue has certainly been a massive help for us and um also a big learning curve you know oh, i was going to say how much did you trained to to, to brew um or sure. you'd study yeah. brewing when you wanted to open the brewery yeah did you realize how much hospitality was going to play in your vision back then i think it had always been a part of what we wanted to do you know we wanted people to be able to come here and have a great experience and um, really add some value to the town as far as uh, food and, and beverage options and that type of thing and also just you know a place to come I think what we really wanted and and this is the basis that I start with uh, when, when I'm thinking about anything for the business is, is um, you know what would I like to experience and um, you know when, when you've been out for a ride in the and the trails around here and and you get back you know i just want a nice place to sit under a tree and have a beer so that's kind of what we tried to build and we've built it with that that focus in mind and um you know i think uh it appeals to me and it obviously appeals to um enough other people to make it worthwhile doing too but over a period of time, to, to, to get to the stage that you are now where you've got this amazing, I mean, it's almost an alpine-style beer garden out under mm. the trees with the, the oven driver um, yes. d- down uh, beneath it. it it's a, such a beautiful location. But if you look at it another way, just the, the amount of constant investment in the hospitality side of the business mm. to, to build all of this and to, to expand um, must have been a, you know, was it what you envisioned 10 years ago? The structure of the venue is pretty much what we'd envisaged uh, originally, and um, but I think you know what we've had to put into it has evolved over time. You know, we really had no idea about, especially about running a kitchen. You know, we, we could work out the the bar side of things, but um, when it came to operating the kitchen, you know, we were really uh, reliant on other people who had a lot more experience in that area and you know we've got a fantastic head chef at the moment and he's been with us for quite a number of years now in uh, in Doug Badrock and um, you know he's been really great in coming to me with new ideas especially when it comes to investing in new kitchen equipment and just spelling out how how it can benefit the business in the short and longer term um, and so that's really helped us to make it into a very professional operation you know when I when I look at where we started when we first built the kitchen having no idea how a kitchen fitted together um, you know what we put in there was completely inadequate really for the numbers of people that we get through here during busy times so um, to have Doug uh, really developing that over the years um, you know you look at it at the point now and I'm you know I'm really impressed with where it's at we've actually just put in a um, 
uh, an orca waste food uh, recycler. So, um, and that, that just went in a couple of days ago. And, um, you know, that's pretty exciting because it means that we're significantly reducing our food waste that goes into landfill. Sustainability was a big thing. So we might even just sort of just uh, yeah. park that for the moment and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But as a business owner, you, you said uh, off mic that getting good people in to manage the things that aren't your specialty mm-hmm. um, is a very important part of running your business. But at yep. the same time, when you're talking about hospitality, hospitality is a noted, you know, notably transient occupation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the number of jobs we see advertised for head chefs you know, every nine, 12 months um, in hospitality venues. At, at some point, you need to, I, I guess, to provide the – as the business owner, you are the continuity um, sure. and manage that. And, and whilst it's not your key area of specialty, how have you managed that overarching management um, and, and, and what advice do you give to other brewers who are in the same position? I think a lot of it comes from um, you know, really respecting your staff and the people that are working for you. You, know, they're, um, you, you want people who are passionate about what they're doing and I, th- I think the best way to do that is to really respect what they are bringing to your business as well. And that just starts with paying them properly, you know, to, and it's just not just paying them properly, but also making sure that they have um, good working conditions. So working a, you know, just a regular week. And, and I know in the, especially in the restaurant industry, it's not uncommon for chefs to do long hours. Mm. Um, and one of the um, initiatives that we've instigated for all of our staff and not just the chefs, but for our sales staff, for our, you know, pretty much all of our staff is is that they work a standard 38-hour week, you know, and there might be times when their week's longer than that, but we'll actually um, uh, give them time in lieu from that and, and that sort of thing. And I think especially in the kitchen where you do see a lot of burnout um, amongst chefs, uh, I think that's made a massive difference to being able to retain staff and, and keep them happy here. It, and it, it, it's interesting, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the fire um, crisis that mm. the region has experienced, but I, I was interested when you said that the period that you were forced to close, mm. um, you don't have a highly casualised workplace, a workforce. A lot of your employer, employees are permanent. That's right, and they're either um, permanent full-time or permanent part-time, but... Um, I mean, we do we do have a, a fair number of casuals who you know were definitely affected from that period, um, but uh, you know because we have been going for quite some time, we've got a lot of work to do, and we're also growing our other aspects of our business. Um, there's always work to be done somewhere, so we're finding that um, having more permanent staff is um, is actually benefit, um, and and uh, it just helps with retention once again. Um, it means we can manage to make sure that they're doing the you know reasonable number of hours and not getting burnt out and that type of thing. So, uh, and they and we're retaining those skills that they bring to the business. It's a tough industry because burnout is an issue. Whether you're you know a, a chef or you know just even working in brewery sales because the number of uh, beer festivals and and it's an industry that involves late nights and, and drinking to some extent. Yeah, and. Um, you know, and I think that's that's part of the reason that it needs to be a, a focus uh, for us too. And um, yeah, just just being able to uh, retain staff helps helps a lot for us. And and especially in a rural area like this, you know, it's it's uh, it's harder to get people to 
come to the area, you know, we're, we're pretty much either relying on people who are already here or people moving to here to, to work. So, um, and, and that typically is more just for the um, more permanent or senior roles in the business that will get people moving here for, for a job. But uh, certainly once they do, we're keen to make sure that they're happy and that they want to hang around. How have you done that? Because a, a lot of breweries, you know, it, 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 it's a hard game um, mm. making beer and selling beer and the cash flows are seasonal and highly variable. Was it just a conscious decision to have those staff conditions or did you have to work to create a situation where you could put it on? Yeah, look, I think it's something that's evolved over time. Once you realise, you know, I, I, I haven't come from an experience of knowing that that's sort of the right way to do other than that's how I'd want to be treated if I was working for the business. So, and, and I think that's often a good basis too, you know, it's that, uh, you know, do unto others as you would have done to yourself. So, it, you know, that kind of applies. And, and um, I think if, if it's a place that you'd be happy to work in, then that's a good benchmark for it. But it's certainly something that's evolved and, you know, you need to make sure that you're you're meeting your obligations as an employer um, and understand the employment conditions you know they're, they're quite complicated and we have an administration manager and and she's uh, great at understanding those those intricacies and making sure we're doing the right thing by our staff so um, you know I think start with that basis and then you can kind of um, add in bits and pieces that you know tweak it to suit your um, your own preferences, you know, like we um, we encourage staff to uh, walk a ride to work, um, and you know we pay them a small bonus each day that they do that. So um, that's just part of a active, healthy lifestyle. We don't have to do it under employment law, but it's something that we find is, you know, sit, sits with our values and and hopefully is benefit to our staff as well. It's interesting. I, I, I was hoping to compartmentalise the the, the the chat, but. <laughs> I keep seeing these sub themes of sustain, like not not just sustainability, but yeah. uh, a, a business philosophy that uh, uh, that sustainability isn't a separate part of your business. Um, no, it's an and part. Yeah. Lo- looking after staff is isn't a separate part of your business. There's a, there's a whole philosophy underpinning what you guys do here. Yeah, that's right. And look, I can touch on that briefly. Our our we kind of worked out, and this is part of the evolution again. But we worked out our core values, and it might sound a bit tried I guess but the three basic words that stand for what we do and that's being authentic active and sustainable and um, you know almost everything we could do can come back to one of those three words and sustainable as a business not just sustainable from a environmental perspective um, active in our lifestyles and but also in the way we approach how we work and uh, authentic you know is fairly self-explanatory was that something that you set out to create from day one or is that something that's uh, evolved in keeping with your, you know, I, I know you moved up here because you loved the, the, the lifestyle mm. and the outdoors and building a business here that allowed you to experience that personally. Mm. Is, is the way that your business has grown an outgrowth of your own feelings or have you learned that along the way? I think it's something I've learned along the way. You know, when, when we started the business, um, Still, you know, we, as I said before, we're really not super experienced uh, business operators, so we're really learning as we went. And and I think, you know, we started it with objectives to, you know, just create something that we felt was what we wanted to do. Um, 
And I think it was it was probably after about five years that we'd been in operation where I really thought, you know, it's when it occurred to me that we really needed to kind of bring it back to what mattered to us, you know, not just being a business for the sake of being a business, but being a business that actually has a broader reason for being and and more obvious, like bringing that back to the customer and make it more obvious what we were trying to achieve in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to get that message across that this is what we're all about rather than just being another brewery. You know, and I think that's important for almost any brewery is to really try and define what your point of difference is, what makes you special, you know, why, why should people care about your beer or your product um, or your experience that you're creating. I guess the thing about things like treating staff well and sustainability um, and, you know, looking after the environment are hopefully things that aren't a point of difference, that it's a point of similarity is, is where we hope the industry uh, moves to. Yeah, that's right. And it, But I think it's also a matter of getting that message out there that that's what, that's what you are all about, you know, and, and, and that's something that, you know, I'm not, I don't really, you know, not very good at blowing my own horn so to actually talk about that stuff is is something that we uh, realized you know is important to do and and that we actually actively started doing about that time i've been having a lot of conversations uh you know with people in the industry as i grapple with what sustainability means to to the brewing industry because in in a lot of ways we're in an industry that is a luxury good um, in, in yeah. some ways, like craft beer, the, the, this idea of craft beer. Um, and there's so much excitement around new and novel beers coming out that, you know, people don't want to miss out. And, you know, whether a beer is made in Bright or made in Darwin, mm. we want to be able to have it. it, it it's trucked around. And we're, we're seeing beers air freighted around the, around the globe because highly hop beers are very perishable. They need to be kept refrigerated, all of which is... Um, and, and so I've been having lots of conversations with the industry about, well, how do we make our industry more sustainable? A lot of the people I talk to point to Bright and the things that you guys are doing in, in terms of sustainability. So maybe just talk to me about what, how you see the industry and its, as a, its role in creating a more sustainable country. Yeah, look, I think sustainability is one of those things where... I don't think it should be down to individual industries you know I, th- I think our government should be leading the way you know and and we as um as citizens you know or just citizens of the world should be trying to do what we can um but you know when when you do have a business and um and you see an action from government then uh you know it it kind of makes sense to do it you can yourself um, we don't do anywhere near enough, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, I would love us to be carbon neutral. Um, there's a long way to go with that, but we're we're putting the wheels in motion to try and get there. Um, you know, we have a dedicated staff person to that, to looking at what we're doing um, to try and make the business more sustainable, and we analyse, you know, what we can do to improve those uh, to to have the best impact. On, on achieving that all the time. So, uh, you know, and one of the simple things we can do, it might sound a bit odd, but is make more beer, you know, by getting our volumes up, we add efficiency to everything. So in many ways, that's sort of our key focus at the moment. And it and that, um, you know, that, that helps us financially. It helps to build our brand, but also helps to make every litre of beer that we make more efficient as well. 
Um, so, you know, that's sort of become more of a focus once we realize that how much impact that can have. Um, that's become more of a focus for us. I guess we're, I'm lucky that I have a business that I can channel that through. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another thing. There's, there's a limit to what you can do personally. Um, I think just in your own home and, uh, and, and in the choices you make when you're purchasing things. Um, but when you have a business, you kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like a beneficial dictatorship where you can actually say, well, this is what we're doing. You know, like we're going to try and make the most uh, sustainable beer that we can. Yeah. and experiences that we can. And, and so what have you done? We started talking before about the, the, the Yorker machine um, yep. that, that reduces your food waste. Yep. Um, ter- terrific idea, but it's a cost. Like it, you sure. need to make a conscious decision. And when, when breweries are sort of trying to work out how they keep the doors open, yeah. um, you, you've made the decision to I- invest in something like that. Yeah, look, we, well, we always assess it and try and work out, you know, if we've got, say, Ten thousand dollars to spend, uh, you know. If we, you know, if we've got a ten thousand dollar investment, how can we get the best benefit for that? Um, as far as this, you know, either a return on the business or benefit to the business or uh, sustainability objectives. Um, so, you know, with the Orca machine, we are expecting that will significantly um, reduce our landfill requirements, which means we can get smaller skip bins for our waste get and pay less for landfill disposal now we we're not 100 percent sure yet how that will pan out financially but you know it should make a significant difference to that um at the same time it re, you know reduces odors in the business um you know there's a lot of other benefits to it as well so uh you know that's something that we felt was worth pursuing so we're trialing it we're actually uh, also analyzing the output of it with uh, northeast water um, so they're they're involved in the project that we're doing to make sure that what is going into the waste from that system is actually uh, you know is okay for the lo- local uh, sewage treatment so uh, and and the initial feedback that we're getting is it's actually really good um, really good input into mm-hmm. the system so hopefully that's you know that works for them as well so what other things have you, have you done? I mean, one of the first things we did was put in a 50 kilowatt solar system on the venue itself. You know, that's that offset. Originally, that was offsetting about a third of our power or, or all of the power that the brewing facility, brewing side of things was using. And that, that was the maximum size we could fit on the, on the venue. Um, we're now looking at putting a similar size system on our production brewery out at Churchill Avenue. So... That's um, you know that should make a big difference out there too. There's oh, where do I start? You know, <laughs> um, I, I guess. Well, I guess the top. Yeah, you know, what, what do you think are the top three things that um, breweries can implement to advance their own sustainability? Solar is a really easy one if you have access to sunlight, um, because typically, uh, you know, when you're generating solar energy is when the brewery typically has its highest need for power during the day um you know typically during sunny weather the temperatures are high so you need more cooling um so i think that can be one thing that works really well um recycling your uh, or, or using your um your waste product for stock feed you know we we've, we've always uh, sent our spent grain off to cattle 
feed uh, with a local farmer and it helps being in a country area where that's pretty easy to achieve and, and I can understand there'd be greater difficulties that within the city uh, but you know you've got to get rid of it somehow anyway so um, you know I think that's a great reuse of product that's still got a high energy value to it and then just um, you know just looking at each aspect of your business and working out how you can do something and minimize the energy you're using you know so making the most of your boiler when it's on um, reusing reusing heat energy that you know, might come from your your um, heat exchanger uh, and and making sure that you've got brews lined up to utilize that heat energy so you're not having to burn more gas to generate that heat again um, you know so I'd say those are the the main things that you can do and you know they go a long way I, I believe what's next for you guys now that you've got sorry I might even sort of step back with with the production brewery You've really stepped up from being a hospitality venue with a, a, a limited um, wholesale business. And I, I guess as you've built the production brewery, wholesale has become much more important to you. How have you seen the industry change, you know, the, the market change with, you know, 200 new breweries over the yeah. last uh, four or five years, um, much more competition just as you've in, expanded your production side? Yeah, look, there, there is a lot of competition out there. Um, it's. I think it's always been a difficult thing. You know, it's hard for us to say because we were never really focused on on getting on trying to get our product into a lot of venues up until a year or two ago. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think it helps for us that we've got an established brand. Um, it helps that we've got, especially now, got a much broader offering and and um, more. I guess products that are tuned to what the consumer is looking for um that that helps but it's it's certainly a lot of work as well how, how do you mean products that are more attuned to the to the consumer have beer taste changed or a consumer's taste a little bit different than as a salesperson than what as a brewer you'd like to be creating um i, I think it's partly that you know that there's um when we started, we really had a fairly, you know, you look back and you think, well, it's pretty ordinary selection there. You know, we had a porter and an amber ale. And had a wit beer. Wit beer. <laughs> you know, we still have the wit beer, which, you know, won its uh, uh, champion, champion in its category last year uh, at the at IBA. Um, but, uh, you know, and that was a surprise to us because it's not actually that popular a style at the moment, right? Uh, and and one of those ones we were actually thinking about dropping just because it you know it just doesn't sell that well. Um, it's had a bit of a resurgence, but you know that's it's things have changed. And um, I think what we've done too is we've opened up out the styling. You know, marketing goes a long way towards helping to sell a product. And um, what we've brought into our range is just some more fun. Uh, can and bottle designs mm -hmm. and we brought cans in as well you know that's helped to fill a market that we haven't been able to uh, satisfy until recently so um and and especially with cans you can have a bit more fun with the designs as well so we're just finding you know Not we're too we're much there, there's a <laughs> yeah well <laughs> yeah, that's right so you know and I, and what we're finding and i guess we're still feeling our way with all of this too trying to work out what people finding appealing what's going to help a product move off a shelf uh and so we're trying quite a few different things um we're trying some 
you know, just interesting can designs. We're trying some really clean can designs. And, you know, what we're finding is that those sorts of products are just more appealing to customers and they, and combining that with interesting flavors, you know, so um, our IPA has been a popular one for a while, but, um, you know, we're bringing in some sours and we're playing around with the sours as well with different um, flavors. You know, we did an uzu sour. We uh, recently were about to do a kiwi sour. You know, we've just got some stuff there that I think peaks people's interest and, and they just go, oh, I'll give that a go. And then they try and they go, oh, that was really nice. You know, so finding those combinations, uh, we're, we're really just playing around at the moment, but trying to work out what it is that is attracting people to certain products and then leveraging off that. Do you find it hard? Because again, if you're here on the day that one of the, the, the running races or the bike races finishes and mm. you've got people who have just finished races sitting here having a beer and I'd presume that they would have a, a style that they like yep. and so the hospitality offering would um, with an, a lifestyle business such as this um, would have a certain range of products would do very well does that then translate to a wholesale market as well or do you have to have a like a, a brewery offering and a wholesale offering it's kind of it is kind of different people will come into the brewery and pretty much go off either what they know or what we might recommend to them mm-hmm. um, when it comes to wholesale a lot of it is connected to how you present the product so um, how you describe it what you call it you know what name you give give a beer and also what artwork you might have with it and then the the flavor of the beer is almost incidental to that because you need to get it into their glass first yep. right and then they can try it and either and, and then you just need to back it up with a good beer Mm-hmm. Right, a good quality beer that they'll actually enjoy. So, you know, that's that's sort of what we're finding. Uh, and I think, too, you know, you, you've got a lot of people in these types of events that just don't drink beer or they say they don't drink beer, right? So trying to find a product that's suitable. You know, we found this with the Spartan event that we were sponsoring uh, just a few months ago. Is, uh, we had a lot of people coming and asking for a cider or a wine, you know. So... Um, and what we were trying to do with them was get one of our sours into their hands because I, I think that, you know, that's a great um, style to kind of bring across people to offer something to people who, you know, just say that that standard response, oh, I don't drink beer, you know. Well, you know, I'm sure, I'm confident we've got <laughs> something for you. So let's try a few different options. But it's interesting, do they not drink it because of the flavour or is it just that negative perception that oh, your beer is the thing to avoid when you are living a healthy lifestyle? Uh, I, I think it's because of the flavour. That's that's what I believe, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think there is a still a strong perception around um, the flavour of what beer flavour is. Um especially amongst people who, you know, if it's off their radar and has been for 10 or 20 years, then why should they try craft beer just because it's, you know, people say it's different. It, if, they, if they've found a drink they like, you know, wine or cider or whatever it is, then that's what they'll just continue to go for. So, yeah, and I find this almost um, every week with even just friends who say they don't drink beer. And I, I, I find... One of the things I like about the sours and even the kettle sours, especially the kettle sours, where it's a bit less, less uh, 
sort of challenging, I guess, um, you know, where it's more subtle, um, is that it can quite it can provide quite a pleasant experience for those people more often than not, mm. and uh, you know, really challenge their perceptions on what they're expecting from a beer. And providing some refreshment as well. I'd exactly. Imagine. Yeah, and it's a yeah really refreshing style. Moving on to you know the the the, the fire emergency we've had recently. And, you know, so sitting under here, it's you know bright. You, you can't imagine a better place to be sitting and having a beer. It's perfectly blue sky. We're sitting under these amazing trees with incredibly dense foliage. You you wouldn't know that there was you know fires within. You know, hundreds of kilometres of here um, mm. a- at the moment. But talk us through the the, the experience that you know Bright had uh, in in early January. Yeah, sure. So um, I think you know it's it's always been on our radar that there's a risk of this, and that's part of the reason that we started developing. You know, we built our production brewery. We're starting to uh, get our product out into the broader region because we really want a backup strategy because we know that this sort of thing has happened before right we've had we're very as a tourism destination we're very dependent on that period from christmas to australia day um it's our for all of the businesses in this area it's a key time of year um but we're also very aware that that's the highest risk of bushfire danger you know we've we've had um years especially from 2003 to through to 2012 there was a very regular uh, recurrence of bushfires in the area. So, you know, we, we've kind of known that it's been on the cards for a while. You just hope every year that that's not the year that it's going to happen again. And unfortunately, this, this year we did obviously see, see that occur again. And, you know, I think we've been very lucky in this area. Um, you know, there's a lot of other areas that are much more badly affected than, than we were here. Um, but, uh, you know, despite that, there, there were still a number of evacuation days and uh, just from the, mostly from the fires in uh, the Buckland Valley and, and Mount Buffalo. Um, and, of course, you know, that means that the 35,000 tourists that we have in town uh, all need to pack up and leave, which is, uh, you know, exactly what needs to happen. So what it, what it meant to us, though, is we, we pretty much closed the business for a couple of weeks um, and, uh, you know, the, the main uh, people that that affects from our perspective is our casual staff. So, um, you know, that we've, uh, yeah. So, the, you know, we're, things are getting back up and running now and we're trying to get people back in. We're trying to get staff back in. You know, we are a bit short staff because a lot of those casuals had to um, move on and, and find jobs elsewhere um, or, or move out of, out of town to other areas. So... Um, you know, we're just we're just sort of getting going again from that. Yeah. How much of your uh, annual turnover is generated you know, during those couple of weeks in January normally? That period in January is probably fifteen to twenty percent of our annual turnover. You know, so it's a big chunk of it. And um, and as with most of the businesses in in town, you're pretty much relying on that to generate your revenue for most of the year. You know that there's two main busy times for the year. That's January and uh, Easter for us. And um, you know to to have one of those um, pretty much removed from your from your balance sheet is um, is a big hit. Yeah. You don't really think of casuals. You know, you you think of casuals not having work. Um, mm. But you don't think of the, the, the flow on that, well, they're going to move 
out of the region as well to, to, to follow work, yeah. which now leaves you short-staffed um, mm, afterwards. Yeah. What are the what are the, the, the longer-term impacts for Bright Brewing and also the, 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 the Bright Town um, going to be, do you think? Well, there's always a little bit of, um, I guess, uh, perception that, you know, public perception that it's a bushfire area, best avoid it for a few years. You know, I, th- I think that's, that's, well, that's what we worry about anyway. You know, I think, I think people are becoming better educated about that now. Um, it, 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 coming from Brisbane and you sort of look at the fire map and you sort of think, oh, I'm going to be driving through devastation. Mm. But, you know, from uh, Wangaratta to Beechworth to, to, to Bright. Yeah, you wouldn't have seen any. Didn't see any. No. Um, didn't, <laughs> didn't see no, any. So, so the key thing for us is getting that message out. You know, we work pretty closely with Tourism Northeast, um, the local tourism board. And um, and just do a lot of you know a lot of promotion of the area and you know we're as I said we're lucky that we didn't have fires through those areas and we can we can sell that good story you know and and I, I really feel for the areas where they haven't been able to do that you know, because because they are burnt burnt out mm. and you know that I know takes a, a long time to recover from. How closely connected are the all of the different communities around here? You know, if people come and visit Bright, does that have a wider impact uh, across the region? Yeah, of course. You know, that it, it is a it is a destination where people tend to come for a week or so, so they've got plenty of time to travel around and explore other areas, and that is what people tend to do. And that's partly why we've worked with um, the other breweries in the area to create the High Country Brewery Trail. You know, to give people a bit of an insight to what those other options in the area and try and drive visitation and and exploration of the area how long do you think the recovery will be for 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 the region oh look i'm hopeful it will bounce back reasonably quickly if we can get the message out there that you know everything's still beautiful here and um and uh you know everyone's trying to welcome people back as fast as possible um you know we do have easter coming up in a in a couple of months and um i'm I'm hopeful that we should be able to get that message back out by then and and see a nice strong Easter again. But you know, one of the other things we're really trying to do is increase the the visitation during those months that are not Easter and and January. You know, there's so many other great things to do around here, and you know, with the especially if you're bringing a bike, you know, the, you can ride almost any time of year. Um, you know, hop on a mountain bike any time of year at all, and uh, some of the stuff we've got around here to do in that regards, just some of the best in the country. So, you know, getting that message out, trying to push those types of um, tourists is what our key focus is. And, and look, again, I just can't think of a more beautiful part of Australia than just this whole King Valley, Beechworth, uh, Bright area. It, it, it's just been a, you know, a truly remarkable couple of days spent here. Um, what, what else is there to do uh, you know, if, if you're perhaps not a mountain biker? You know, there's obviously a lot of hiking, um, yeah. skiing in winter. Um, yep. what, what else? There's some terrific food and wine. There is great food and wine. Um, Paragliding is the other thing. There's a it's an awesome experience if you get a chance. We've got um, one of the best launch sites in the world. Paragliders come all over the, from all over the world to fly here, uh, and we've got some extremely um, professional uh, tandem uh, operators that will take you out for a little fly if that's you know if that suits you. There's um, there's operators that uh, will take you rock climbing at Buffalo. There's hiking tours. Um, yeah, look, the mount. One of the best things here is just to get up into the mountains. Um, you know, we're we're nestled in amongst 
Victoria's, you know, Mount Feathertop and Mount Bogong and all those sorts of areas. And, um, you know, especially outside of January is a good time to be up in those areas if you can. And uh, finish up down here for a exactly. beer down at Bright Brewing. <laughs> That's right. Scott Brandon, thank you very much for joining us for Beers of Conversation and all the best over, over the next couple of months. And uh, hopefully you can keep going from strength to strength. Thanks, Matt. Great to catch up with you. And that was Scott Brandon. As I said in the intro, if you haven't been to Bright Brewery, it truly is a beautiful place. And like many breweries, they can really use your help. As small businesses, they often don't have the resources of large and multinational companies to withstand these shocks. One thing that we can do at the moment is that where we have a discretion about where we go and what we buy, we can make a conscious decision to support small local businesses wherever they are. Your choice doesn't just benefit that business, it has an impact on that entire community as well. And once things get back to normal, as they will, don't forget that there are a lot of breweries, cheesemakers, bakers, wineries, motels, B&Bs and many more businesses that will all be hurting and would really appreciate your support. And I would also like to thank the support that we got from Convoy Kegs to bring this series to you. They helped us get out to the high country in late January and they provided us with the support so we could get out with our empty esky and spend with them. If you're a brewer, we highly recommend you have a chat with Convoy Kegs to find out how they can help you.